how can I show you love and respect is by honoring you and honoring your contributions and honoring your stories. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. This is episode 97 of the Love and Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of leadership and practical love. Love the verb, love, that empowers people to flourish and companies to profit. Glad you could join the movement. We're now heard in 150 countries. So please share the episode with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Now, back on episode 82, I featured David Smith and Brad Johnson, who co-wrote a fantastic book called Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Check that out, episode 82. And the reason I'm bringing this up before I introduce today's guest is that men hold so much power over decisions that affect women in the workplace. And Brad Johnson and David Smith talk about a brand of good men out there who are eager to learn how to be an ally for women or to someone of, uh, you know, a different race or sexual orientation or background, but especially women. Look, I'm an ally, okay? And this podcast would not exist if gender equality, diversity, and inclusion wasn't part of the conversation. So as leaders, we have to force ourselves to hold up the mirror and ask, hey, what am I doing to create obstacles for others, to keep others from moving forward, from growing and advancing as people? So the other day, I stumbled into a Harvard Business Review article called Maternity Leave Isn't Enough to Retain New Moms. The author is Mita Malik. And you know what, man? That thing hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, if your company offers maternity leave, hey, that's great. You should. It's needed. Even better if you offer a leave for both parents. But Mita Malik on her HBR piece says pay time off is not enough to support women because there's a lot of bias by managers that are affecting women during their maternity leave. And then we're also finding that There's other unfair treatment after they come back from leave that holds them back. Now, if that wasn't enough, we have this global pandemic that has set millions of women back for all kinds of reasons that we're going to get into in this episode. So I'm bringing in Mita Malik to talk about what women and especially new moms are experiencing because she's been there. And if you're a decision maker setting policy and strategy, hopefully my conversation with a top people executive like Mita Malik will cause something to shift in you and your organization. Mita Malik currently serves as the head of inclusion, equity, and impact at Carta and as the former head of diversity and inclusion and cross-cultural marketing at Unilever, Mita's efforts to build an inclusive culture have been celebrated all over. Under her leadership, 
Unilever was named the number one company for working mothers by Working Mother Media in 2018 and number two for best employers for women in 2020 by Forbes. Media's work has been featured in HBR, New York Post, Business Insider, Cosmopolitan, Fast Company, and I could go on and on and on. She holds a BA from Columbia University and an MBA from Duke University. I'm telling you, we had a great conversation and I'm deeply honored to have her share her experiences with you right now. Let's dive in. So I'm here with Mita. Mita, welcome to the Love and Action podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's jump right in. So we are doing a little fun thing here that's new to the show. And just to get people acquainted with you. And here's the first question. Ready? What's your story? My story is that I have felt excluded for most of my life, starting in schoolyards and in my community, and then also in workspaces and workplaces. And I don't ever want anyone to feel that way, ever. Mm. And I was bullied a lot, both verbally and physically growing up. I grew up outside of Boston. We were a handful of uh, families of color, proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. And my peers let me know every single day that I was not included. I also grew up at a time when I didn't feel like I belonged in the larger world. I didn't see a lot of brown and black role models. I grew up uh, watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I love Will Smith, but I love Tatiana Ali even more because that's the first time I saw someone who I could connect with who looked like me. And wow, has the world changed. Because if we pick up Instagram today, there's so many amazing role models out there. And I'm proud of the world that we're all creating. But Mm. that's my story. And that's why I do this work. Fantastic. So as I told my listeners in the introduction, you drew me to that HBR piece, which you you discuss pay time off, for maternity yes. leave, which many companies, not all, but, uh, but many companies don't have that in place. Now, I am an advocate for uh, fairness, gender equality, and equity inclusion. So I have no problems admitting <laughs> that I'm a male ally, okay? Absolutely. That's why I do the show. <laughs> and we, we need to raise the awareness. So that's why reading your article, the one on maternity, the initial reaction for me was anger. I was angry. Because, well, you, you start the article with an unfortunate incident with a previous company that I know women everywhere listening will relate to. Do you want to tell us what happened? Yes, I was due with my first son, Jay, who's now eight years old. And I went out on leave and I had spoken to my employer. I took the time off that they were given. So by law, what does that mean? I'm offered, I am guaranteed the same role back not on the same team, but the same role. And we had actually discussed that I would come back to my role. And so I remember that day feeding my son and in the middle of changing diapers and a good friend calls to check in on me. And she says, I just want to check in and make sure you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sleepless nights, the things that you go through when many of us have had a newborn. And she said, well, I, I don't know how to say this, but your job was posted and a recruiter called me for it. The exact job that I had before I went out on leave. Right. And so what did I say by law? By law, they just owe me the same level back. But we had had a verbal commitment and a discussion that I would come back to that job. And so unfortunately, that was a moment where I decided I didn't want to go back because I know the trust for me had been broken. And I know that happens for many women. And so I started my job process while I was on leave. Then I landed another fantastic opportunity. But what a loss 
for that company. And that's my, my story is not my story. It's the story of so many women, as you say. And this happens every day. Mm. What gets me is that your managers, you said it yourself, they assured you that you, your position would be, be there and you would come back. Why would they go back against their word? I think a lot of things happen when people are on leave. I mean, this is one of the things I talk about in the piece. Everybody, you know, there's so many companies chasing paid time off, and it's important, right? And what I don't talk about in the article is also parental leave and the role fathers need to play. And, and that's a separate piece. But what I would say is that if you haven't thought about Mita's going out on leave, what's the coverage going to look like? I mean, that's a big piece, right? Because I've gone out on maternity leave twice, and there's a lot of guilt when you go out. Yeah. Because you want your team set up for success and you want to come back and feel like you can pick up the ball where you left it and keep going. And then I've also been on the receiving end when people go out on medical leave, parental leave. And then I'm like, now I've taken on three times as much as work and no one's paying me more and I'm not getting any recognition. So I think that's when we don't fix really basic things. That's when things happen. People start to get nervous and they're like, we can't we actually, we actually can't wait for Mita to come back. We need to fill this, we need to backfill her now. Yeah, yeah. That's good to segue later in, in the in the show because we're gonna tackle some of the things that CEOs, HR managers need to understand and even questions they need to ask to avoid issues like that. When you're on the, you know, on the receiving end of oh my goodness, how am I gonna cut co- the coverage part? Right. So we're right. gonna address that. Now in your article, you quote. Asha Santos, who is a labor and employment attorney. And she says, and I quote, how a woman is treated in the months leading up to her maternity leave and then during leave and then shortly thereafter when she returns to work will determine whether or not a company will be able to retain her. So you probably already mentioned it, but I want to just dig into the, the treatment. What kind of treatment are women receiving these days during leave? And then when they come back from their leave, that would cause them to leave. We already have your example that, about what happened. You lost trust. I would say another thing that will cause a woman to leave has to do around performance. So if I am going out on leave next week and I'm expecting, and Marcel, you're my manager, you should sit down with me and we should review my performance to date. Right? Like, What have I done? There's been a few months to this year, and more importantly, last year. What are the projects that I've been pushing forward? What are the points I've gotten on the board? Where am I leaving things right now? And that so you, as my boss, can provide me some really good feedback on my performance year to date. So when I leave and go on leave, I feel really good about where I've left the work. And the other piece is ensuring that we've had a conversation about my career. Don't put me on the mommy track if I don't want to be. You have no idea the village and the support and the community I have at home. You don't know if I will have a lot of great support and help and I will be fine to have a traveling role when I come back. Or you don't know if I do want that flexibility. So if you don't ask those questions, we can't make assumptions because I'm a woman and I'm becoming a mother, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you just triggered some thought in me because immediately, okay, I'm a male. Immediately, I'm thinking that those conversations and those assumptions from the manager side of the table are coming from a man, a male manager. Now, is this a systemic issue where it just hits across gender lines? Or is it really just a, an issue that male managers have to be more focused on, more aware of? I think I've heard it from women managers as well. I've heard it from all individuals. I think it is tied to very deep-seated cultural norms 
of what we think mothers are expected to do versus fathers. And this goes back deep, right? Being of uh, Indian descent and being raised in a community where there are certain expectations of what women do versus men do, right? And so those sometimes are deep-seated in, in society and also in the community and cultures you're raised in. And so we have to really check ourselves on those biases. Wow. And I think the approach needs to be, you know, Mita, we're so excited that you're going to be expanding your family and we're so excited to be welcoming you back to work. Keep us posted on the opportunities you're interested in or if you're... We would love to have you back on this team. I think especially... For me, in moments where I was about to be promoted and I was going out on leave, right? I had one manager who was so lovely. And to this day, which I talk about in the article, when I went out with my second daughter, she hired a consultant to cover me when I was out and was very clear I was coming back to her team. And I did, right? And I was also on a path to promotion. And very shortly after coming back, within six months, I was promoted. But those were conversations we had along the way. And it made me feel so much better and so much secure that when I went out on leave, that I could come back to that company and continue to make impact as a second-time mother. Mm-hmm. Well, you list some great examples uh, of, of what some big tech companies are doing, you know, Spotify, Etsy, and Twitter, to name a few, that they're becoming more inclusive and, and now adding the, the paid parental leave for both birth and non-birth parents to, you know, to step in and, and fill the void. But you say, Pay time off is just scratching the surface. It's just not enough. So what do you mean by that? I think it goes back to the performance piece. Making yeah. sure, you know, there's a lot of statistics that show for every time a woman has a child and expands her family, her potential for her salary and career advancement goes down versus when a man is becoming a father and how much more marketable he appears, right? And so that to me is like checking on performance ratings too. Because oftentimes, I have seen situations, and this also happened to me, where I received a low rating when I was on maternity leave. And it's because... Why? Like, If we had had that conversation, Marcel and I, right, as I was going out, he would have told me exactly where I stood. And so I thought I knew where I stood. And then I saw the rating and I said, this doesn't make sense. I didn't work half the year. So those are also biases because oftentimes, anyone who's not physically in the office or is out and you're you're actually doing the bell curve, which many large organizations do, and you need a certain number of people, you're, you're stacking people against each other. Right. Why is it the people who are out on leave, who are on maternity leave, your employees who are becoming mothers, why are they the ones, right? And so asking mm. yourself these questions is really important. And mm. I think, you know, again, checking with her on what she wants to do, check with the employee, check with the mother. So it could be that you need to have flexible options and flexible tracks. I think the pandemic has, has proven that all of that is possible. And also making sure just that you are providing mother's rooms, right? So I think you know your point about the leave is important. And then I like to think about what's the journey after she comes back to work? If she chooses to breastfeed, are we supporting that? If she's traveling, what is she going to do with the breast milk? Are you signing up with Milk Stork, which is a mm. fantastic service? So it's almost like I very strongly believe that our employees are forgotten consumers. We spend so much time in companies thinking externally about who we're selling to and how do we get them to try our product and service. Ask the women and the men and all individuals what they want and need. Continue to ask and continue to support them and offer them the things they need. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so in the uh, HPR piece, you have these list of questions, and you touched on addressing some of the some of these problem areas. What you know, what happens when the working mother leave, leaves? What do you do in that situation? Because we, not enough of us as leaders and, and HR people and, and executives actually think about the coverage piece. So the, one of the questions you list is who will take on her work? You right. want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So I have my first example, which is where my job was given away or they were trying to replace me while I was out. Probably as you asked, why would they do that, Mita? The anxiety of actually we said we would take her back for this role and now we're nervous about where all the work will go. And then my other example, which was great, where they had a consultant cover me. So figure out where the work will go, hire a consultant, second shift. The second shift is an amazing marketplace that does just that. Will they will match individuals with expertise who are looking for part-time contract work and you could use that as coverage. The other option is asking people currently on the team to step up with a spot bonus, right? Again, I've been on the receiving end. It's more work. What's in it for me, <laughs> right? <laughs> My manager's going out on leave. Marcel's going on, I will say, parental leave. And now I have to take over all his work. Well, offer me a spot bonus. Mm. And so there are many different ways to figure out creatively how you can cover that work. And that's so important. This is great. Okay, I want to talk about what the pandemic has done to women workers since March of last year when the virus hit here in the U.S. And I'd like to uncover exactly how it has actually set women back. And Mita and I will tackle that topic after a short break. Hold tight. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often, what's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, Mita, so the pandemic has done a number on millions of women workers. What have you seen? It has been nothing short of devastating, Marcel. We have seen since the start of this pandemic, 5 million women have lost their jobs. 2 million women have disappeared from the workforce completely. And there are three working mothers unemployed for every working father who has lost their job. And and when we think about intersectionality, we know that Black, African-American, Latinx, Hispanic women their job losses are much more significant than their white counterparts. And 
I'm sitting here chatting with you today and I I am very conflicted because I keep thinking I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm still standing. I'm a working mother. I have a partner who's also working very hard. I have a five and eight-year-old and I have so many friends who have shut down their businesses, who are struggling to keep their businesses open, who have had to make the choice to stay home to put their family first, or they've had their job eliminated. So it's a really difficult time right now in our country. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything specific that women can do right now before we put the focus on what companies can do to support women in a post-pandemic world? What can women do themselves to help them in this scenario that we're in? Ask for the flexibility and ask for the support. I always say that behind the best banana bread you've ever baked and the drive-by birthday parties and all these pictures on Instagram of the curated life people want to tell, we don't know what kind of pain people are in their homes and behind the camera. So if I'm not being open with the fact that I'm struggling because my eight-year-old is struggling, because virtual school's not working for us, because, because, because. So I have to be in a place where I can open up a bit to Marcel, my boss, and say, you know, as an example, like, this is what's happening and this is what's, what I'm going through. And actually, when you set a meeting for 8 a.m. every morning as a stand-up or every other morning, that doesn't really work for me because that's when I'm actually getting my kids ready and getting the whole virtual school situation set up. Or, hey, you know what? Actually, my daughter takes a nap at 3. So that would be a really great time if we could do our check-ins from 3 to 3.30. Okay. I'm going to put the finger at me because you don't know this. So I'm going to tell you, and probably my listeners don't know this. I started my career as a a recruiter, a headhunter. And we were told that we had to kind of systematically wean out people that had employment gaps. So if you had, (laughs) if I looked at a resume and between jobs, between uh, your second and third job, there was a gap of a year. Well, you probably wouldn't make even the the cut for me to screen you for my client. Okay. And yet here we are, there's now this bias against women that have been away from work because of the pandemic. So to talk to maybe, I don't even know who you should talk to at this point. Is it the recruiter? Is it the chief human human resources officer about this issue of bias against these women that uh, now have these employment gaps? Yeah. Well, it starts with the recruiters because they're, as you are, thank you for sharing that so vulnerably. It starts with the recruiters because they're in the trenches. They're talking to the talent. They're ambassadors of the company. It's also the hiring managers as well. Right. And of course, the CEO and the chief people officer set the tone. But what I would say to you is exactly what you're saying. Anytime someone has research shows a gap in their, in their resume, if I have a gap in my resume, I am more likely to be seen as being lazy, unambitious, lacking skills. And so really for us to be embracing, I mean, we're almost at a one-year anniversary when many of us started working remotely from home in the pandemic. And a shout out and a thank you to frontline workers that are still keeping our economy going. But Amen. we have to be very open. Companies have to be open when they're advertising roles and their social media channels, talking about the fact that we are okay if you've taken a year off or plus. We want to know what your skills is. We want to know your skills fit. That's what we're looking for. And for women to also be open to say that I, I took a year off for the following reasons. But the companies have to lead, right? If the company's not leading, it's going to be harder for me as someone who's been out of the workforce to say, hey, I've been out of the workforce and here's why. Mm-hmm. And we also know statistically, as you know, you just proved it in your story, that when I have a 
gap on my bias, I'm much less likely to be called for an interview. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's now flip the tables back to the companies. Sure. Decision makers, what can they do to support women right now in a post-pandemic world? And well, we're still in the middle of the pandemic, but yeah. you get what I'm saying, right? Now or later. Absolutely. I would say, you know, we have FMLA in this FMLA in this country, the Family Medical Leave Act. That's another podcast show, but it's failed us largely as a, as a country. And so for companies to really step in and say, we're going to offer a pandemic leave of absence. And so what do I mean? I come to you, Marcel, and I say, I, I need time off. I can't, I, I can't continue to work full time. And you say, hey, let me offer you this leave of absence. It's going to be between 12 to 18 months. I'll cover your benefits. It'll be unpaid. But here's the key. When I come back, I will be at the same level. You won't guarantee me the same role. I know things change, but you'll guarantee me the same level. So I won't have lost career progression. And so I, I believe there are many companies that could afford to do this. And this is just one of the many things in, in the toolkit. It's not the only one. Yeah, yeah. I should have asked this question before the previous one. because this, this really, really hit me between the eyes in your article. You talk about something called two in the pool effect when women are actually interviewing. Talk about that. It's really interesting. So you should be focused on diverse slates regardless. The pandemic is now making that even more clear that diverse slates must be a tool that you have in processes to ensure that you have diversity representation, as you know, as a former recruiter on your slate for the hiring manager. There's the Rooney rule. There's many rules. A lot of the rules talk about having one person from an underrepresented group on the slate. And there's really interesting research that it's the two and pool effect, as you talk about. And it actually says a woman's odds of being hired is 79% greater if there are two women on the final slate or two individuals from an underrepresented group. And so it's not just enough to say, oh, we have Mita on the slate, check. And so I really want people to think about that. And I know you'll include a link to the article so people can look at the study, but that's something that's really important to be thinking about your pipeline and the talent you're bringing in. Mita, being a chief diversity officer yourself, you're, you're a big advocate for the hiring of such a, such a person. So why is that role so important in an organization? It's absolutely important because, as I say, I'm not coming into with a magic wand to fix things. That's not what I do. But I am somebody who's setting strategy, being a catalyst for change, and working with all parts of the organization to operationalize, right? So whether that's recruiting and how are we bringing in talent and judging talent, leadership and development, how are we training our leaders? How are we upskilling the people in our organization to be more culturally competent? Even thinking about workspaces and workplaces as we open up, is your work environment set up for individual like myself if I was using a wheelchair? What would that experience be like for me in your office? Like it's every single Marcel touch point. Mm. I think about a leader's journey and every single way in which I can make that more inclusive and interrupt bias. And you need somebody to be doing this work because you, what I like to talk, talk about is an end-to-end -end inclusion ecosystem. Your workforce. Does your workforce represent the communities in which you operate in? What about your brand's products and services? How are they serving and representing underrepresented communities? Supplier diversity. Who are you choosing to do business with and why? And then finally, what we've seen now more than ever, especially with the killing of George Floyd last year, is like 
you can say you stand for values, but as a company, when are you ready to stand up for them? And so that is why you need somebody who is focused in your organization on leading the charge for all of that work. Mm, yeah, well put. Okay, so DEI or DNI, they're both terms now. Everybody likes to use them. It's flung around loosely, but let's talk about when you have a robust DNI culture, let's talk about the barriers. What are the biggest barrier or barriers to having an environment of diversity and inclusion? I think the biggest barrier is each of us. We each have bias. And when we show up with that, it's a multiplier effect. You know, I always say, people always talk about, I'm very focused on being an inclusive leader. And that's, what, that's the, predominantly the work I do. Because you can talk about inclusive cultures, and that's what we're all chasing. But it's how do I show up every day? And how I show up impacts Marcel and my other coworker, and my boss, and the company. And isn't it easy to say, I'm an inclusive leader if my team looks like me, acts like me, and thinks like me? It's very easy to say I'm inclusive then, right? And so I think that's part of the work is, honestly, the biggest barrier to this work is each of us. Because I can set up all the systems and processes and structures and policies and there's so many amazing people doing great work in this space. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter yeah. if each individual doesn't show up to think about how they can actually lift that process or the, how they can become a barrier to it. And so my favorite thing that'll happen is when I go to a team meeting, to a leadership group, and I present DE&I strategy or thought leadership. And if it's internal, they might say to me, let me know how we can help. And I will say, oh, no, no. This is not my agenda. This is not the CEO's agenda. This is all of our agenda. So this is how you can help. And I can tell you particularly, whatever function or place in an organization you sit on, I, I can tell you how you can help. Uh, yeah, so good. Well, basically, it's just like, just like the role of a leader. It's not yes. what you do. It's who you are. Absolutely. So before I transition, is there any question I should have asked that I did not? Because I, I want to make sure that if you've got some powerful strategies or tips that uh, we still cover it. We're not going to go away until you do. So anything I missed that is absolutely essential to bring up? Uh, no, I would just say no matter where you sit in an organization, you have some power. You do. I don't care who you are. You do. And to think about what impact can you have to create a more inclusive culture. So go back to the recruiter example. You're a recruiter and you see my resume and it's outstanding, except I've had a year and a half gap. And so you have a hiring manager who says, but she has a year and a half gap. How are you going to make take that moment to convince them otherwise? What are you going to do to champion my advocacy? You're in a meeting calibrating talent. And someone says, there's this great new job open. It's going to be the senior VP of sales. And somebody says, well, well Mita's name is up for that job. Well, but she just had a baby. She's not going to travel. And so... You being in that room as someone who's not my manager could say, well, have we asked me to that question? Why are we making that assumption? Like, has anyone actually called her to ask her if she could take this job? And then the final piece I say is, no matter how much money you have, think about how you're spending it. Even if it's a $5,000 video you're creating, ask yourself why we go to the same big production houses and agencies. Mm. Why can't we find somebody who's starting their own company and give them a first shot? So I don't care where you sit in the organization, you can help lift this agenda. Oh, man, this is so good. Okay, I want to make the link between... And this is tradition on the show. So we're going sure. to talk a little about love. 
So the link between leadership and practical love, love in this sense is a verb, not the squishy feeling. It's the, it's the whole reason we say love in action. It's a verb that acts to empower and inspire people to flourish. So in your own words, how does a leader these days love well in business day in and day out? For me, it's really about how I show love is honoring your experiences and hearing you and seeing you. I think that's one of the biggest ways right now we can show love. And for me, kindness is such an underrated, Mm. undervalued, underutilized leadership trait. I actually think that's changed in the last year. But for me, kindness and love are connected. And so how can I show you love and respect is by honoring you and honoring your contributions and honoring your stories. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, we end our episodes with three get into your heart questions. Ready? Okay, here I am. Go have, go for it. <laughs> what are you deeply grateful for right now? My community, my children, my husband, my mom, my brother, my family, my friends. This is what I'm grateful for. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? I am thinking every day about how I can help get more women back to work. It's something personally that I'm passionate about and really devastated by. And it's something that's really weighing on my heart right now. You get to end the episode your way with that one thing, that final takeaway that you'd like to close us with. Please support working moms right now, working women. If someone's out of work, take that LinkedIn request, even if you don't know the person, do the 20-minute coffee, help someone with their resume or their profile, help make a connection and help support working mom entrepreneurs, even if it's with just a few dollars or something that you're going to buy from them. Please do that. I have a feeling this episode is going to strike a chord and uh, it's going to pull on heartstrings. So if people want to connect with you to learn more about you, maybe uh, they want to bring you to speak or strategize, how can it connect with you? Please find me on LinkedIn. I love my LinkedIn community and I love meeting people there. So thank you. And I'll make sure that that's also in the show notes. Uh, You'll have a a link to Mita's profile. Mita, it's been an amazing chat. You have challenged our worldview and hopefully more people will listen and adapt and adopt and shift and and change strategies to lift up more women in the workplace. Because that's the whole reason that I wanted to bring you here is this has got to stop and we got to make this better for women. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to join the conversation and comment on this episode, hashtag love in action podcast will get you there. And I will also be posting this episode on Twitter at Marcel Schwantes and on LinkedIn, Marcel Schwantes. You can follow the discussion there. And as I mentioned, you look for my show notes with links to Mita's HBR articles on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I'm coming right back with your action steps from today's episode. So to make this episode more practical for you, here's what I would personally recommend to be your action item that's going to create change. Mita said that, and this is in her HBR article, she says that leaders have to ask the question, who will take on her work, meaning her the expectant mother when, when she goes on a leave? Because so often there's no transitioning plan 
And so what happens is employees are, are throwing more work their way, and then that causes more anxiety in, in your workers' lives and causes them now to resent the, the person that went on maternity leave. So Mita says one solution is to create a pool of former employees who know your organization well and could consult for a few months to cover the work. And that's exactly what Mita's manager did hiring a former employee as a consultant when she was out on her maternity leave. Now, if that's not an option, try compensating a colleague with a cash bonus or a little bump in base salary. And if you don't have the bandwidth for that, Mita advises tapping other people in the organization to help and then reward them. My special thank you to Mita Malik for joining us. And thank you, Love and Action Nation, for joining the conversation. And finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor an episode of the Love in Action podcast, let's chat. You can reach me on my website at marcelschwantes.com or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the love in action movement until next time don't forget the future of leadership is love in action believe it practice it and be convinced